was crowned with thorns, is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet, now at His feet we bow.
resurrected king is still resurrecting us. Normally, we would pause in our service over Memorial Day weekend to recognize and to celebrate those that have gone before us. We understand why we choose that weekend. It, the name kind of lends itself to that. But yet, Memorial Day itself is for those who have served and given their lives so that we would have the freedoms we experience in our country today. We felt, as a pastoral team, that perhaps All Saints Day would be more appropriate for us to take time to recognize and to celebrate those who have gone before us and have lovingly shown us the way to follow in order for us to find Jesus. This past Wednesday, November 1st, was All Saints Day. So we take this weekend to celebrate, to recognize that grief is not a destination, but rather a process and a journey. The celebration is a part of that, remembering the trail that many have left behind that we could follow so that we could know. An example that we could model our lives after we learn from the good and the not so good, the lives that have gone before us. We still pause this morning to celebrate. John Wesley himself considered All Saints Day to be amongst the greatest celebrations of the life of the church, proclaiming in 1756 that we pause to give God solemn thanks for the lives and the deaths of his saints. His saints. The Gospel of John, as Jesus is praying, of the night before his arrest kind of gives God a, 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 a resume, if you will, of all the things that have, he's accomplished. And he doesn't mention the people that he's fed, or the lives that he's healed, or even Lazarus being raised from the dead. Instead, he gives back to the Father as his glory, those who knew and had given their lives to him. Lost ones that we have loved today are the fulfilled glory that God has received back from Christ. This annual celebration of saints we do it for good reason. We come behind those who have faithfully gone before us as they lead us to the one who will in time reunite us. God gave John a revelation. And in chapter 7, we read in verses 2 through 4 and 9 through 17 a vision that he saw. May this vision bring us comfort and hope this morning as we celebrate those who have gone before us. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and whispered, worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white with the blood of the lamb. They are before the throne of God. Serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb that's centered the throne will be their shepherd. 
He will lead them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's take a few moments as we worship, we celebrate, we remember the lives of the 17 saints that are now included in the revelation that John writes about in chapter 7. many beautiful stories represented in those lives. What the world may tell us is that the date in which they died would be the end of their story. We know better. Their stories continue to be lived on through us. We get a chance to pass on what they've shared with us to those in our own lives as well. The church every year makes a donation in honor and memory of each of our saints. 
the Otto and Oliver Hicks Scholarship Fund at the Ohio Christian University. Otto and Oliver were twins to Thad and Sarah Hicks several years ago, uh, passed away as infants. So in their honor, we continue to equip others to serve, to share the love of Jesus Christ, so that more saints can be included among the number that we read about in Revelation. In closing of our recognition celebration, I wanted to share the, a collect, a prayer, the Book of Common Prayer to be read on All Saints Day. Almighty God, you've knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son, Christ our Lord. Give us grace so to follow your blessed saints and all virtuous and godly living, that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. We invite you to stand as we continue our worship this morning.
Revelation also points out to us and we're before God and His throne in heaven. That's going to be the chorus that we sing. Maybe you don't like songs that repeat. Well, Scripture tells us there's going to be a lot of that in heaven. We have a chance to praise God for eternity. A lot of time to write new songs, right? More opportunities to praise and worship Him to give Him glory. And perhaps this week's been a week where, well, things have gone really well. You can look back and see there's lots of reasons. You can see ways. You can see God's faithfulness. And aren't you glad for those moments? That's what carries us through the times when maybe things are a little bit more dry, a little more difficult. I love the parts we sang a few minutes ago. Never have I walked where he hasn't walked with me. Never alone. I shared in the first service, I shared with you, at one point in time I read or I heard, I don't remember who, from who or from where, but this idea that nothing ever occurs to God like that. Nothing catches God off guard. Nothing's new to him. He didn't wake up today and say, oh, well, look, look what they're going through. I didn't know. Nothing ever occurs to him. So wherever you find yourself right now, know that he is well aware. Now that might cause you some frustrations. You're going, well, why doesn't he do something about it? The good news is, he is. In ways that we do not know or see, he's at work on our behalf. And I'm thankful for that today we go to prayer, we do so as people of hope, knowing that we don't walk alone, knowing that the Holy of Holies goes with us, is there for us, and we go to him confidently, knowing that he hears us. Let's pray together. Father, I just ask this morning that as we come before you, we would not let the things of this world distract we wouldn't let the things we've been going through, the, the ups and downs of life, to get in the way of us recognizing your presence, of hearing your voice, feeling your touch, of being drawn closer to you. We want to, Lord, begin our time of, of just worship, continue our worship and our time of prayer by hallowing your name, by, by crying out, acknowledging who you are, by, by putting you in the right place, by taking the appropriate posture surrender to you. We might come today with a lot of questions. We might come searching this morning, wondering uh, what might be out there for us, wondering where it is you are. Why haven't you answered your questions that you're big enough to receive? In the midst of those moments, Lord, I pray we would be reminded of those seasons where you've been faithful, where you have answered, where you have met our needs, where you have walked with us through valleys. And Lord, we would just lean into those moments, those reminders, and trust you. We'd surrender and we'd let go. We'd walk with you, knowing, God, that we don't walk alone. I pray for the ones who are hurting, who perhaps have gotten a, a diagnosis or are dealing with some physical ailments and struggles and are just waiting for a touch. I pray, Lord, for the one who's wandered from you, who needs, Lord, to come home. May, may, you, may you call out. May, may they respond. May they come running back to receive your grace, to be restored into a relationship with you. For the lonely, for the discouraged, for the depressed, the ones who feel like that no one's there, God, may they know today that you're right beside them. The relationships that need mended, the ones that we've broken that need repair. And I pray, Lord, for our, the marriages in this place, for, 
relationship between mother and child, between father and son, Lord, between friends, brother and sister, whatever, by between our neighbors, Lord, whatever needs to be fixed. I pray, Lord, we do more than simply peacekeeping, Lord, we become peacemakers. Get into the heart of what it is that divides us. Turning, Lord, instead to the things that unite us. You're a good God. You're faithful. And I pray this morning, Lord, we'd be reminded of that. We'd hear your voice, feel your touch, we draw close to you. Continue, Lord, to help us to be counted among the followers, among the faithful. But those who come behind us, Lord, too, can find the way to you. Lord, be honored and glorified in our worship this morning. You are our audience. We've come to worship you. I pray, Father, you be glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, thanks for coming back. Last week was not planned. <laughs> but we are so glad that Nancy is with us today, aren't we? Aren't we thankful for that? We give God praise for that. Amen. Man, we're just so good. That's just another chapter in our story of how good he is, and we are glad for that this morning. Uh, we also, last Sunday in second service, we, we welcomed new members into our faith family. And we have two that were, were, are here today that we weren't able to recognize last week. And, and, and I'm going to have John and Carol, if you just stand right where you're at. You don't have to come up front. Just stand right where you're at. John and Carol Belt became members of our church this last month. And I just want to take the time to welcome them. Can you join me welcome them into the membership of our faith family? Man, yeah. So thank you, guys. And I just saw that look on Carol's face. She's like, oh, no, please don't call me up front. I would, I would not do that without letting you know. So we are excited about what God is doing in the life of our church. He's faithful. He keeps showing up. That doesn't mean rough seasons won't become or continue to be part of our lives, but even in the midst of those rough seasons, God is there. And we are continually reminded of that as we continue to kind of plow through, if you will, kind of push through. We're going to keep doing that together. We are past um, uh, trick-or-treating. Uh, now it's time for us to go downstairs, go downtown, look for the Christmas lights. That's kind of how it works. But in between thank, or Halloween and thanks, or my goodness, Brian, let's just pause for a moment to get things back. In between trick-or-treating and Christmas, there's a very important season that we in our nation celebrate. It's not necessarily a global thing. It's not necessarily a biblical thing that we celebrate it right now. But Thanksgiving is a biblical concept. Being a people that are, are, are thankful and that express gratitude is, is a natural expression of, of what it means to be uh, a follower of Christ. And as we welcome new members, what, what a great opportunity we have in these coming days to recognize God's goodness. And, and part of that goodness is some big plans that God is, is revealing and working out in us. And part of those big plans, we want to spend some time next Sunday night and, and talk with you about. So next Sunday, November 12th at 5 p.m., we're going to be having a church meeting here in the sanctuary. We're going to discuss, in recent months, God has kind of brought us an opportunity uh, he's revealed to us the need for us to kind to, uh, to address our, our, our indebtedness. Uh, we still carry some indebtedness with the construction of the gymnasium, the Family Life Center, uh, some, some ongoing construction projects throughout the years uh, that we want to begin to kind of pay down. We have a vision. We believe God is leading and in this process, and he's opening doors and doing some amazing things. Part of that uh, plan that we believe he's giving to us is the potential sale of the 25 acres of property we own about a mile and a half north of here on Ohio 31 and Hillview Road. So we want to give you time to kind of hear a little bit about that plan 
to understand what we believe God is doing, but also to ask questions. We don't want to take time out of our service to do that. We don't think that's necessarily the appropriate moment for that. So next Sunday evening, 5 o'clock, we're going to invite those who would be interested in knowing more to come and join us. It'll be about an hour meeting. We're not going to do more than that. We'll provide some specific details as to what's going on, what we'll be looking at in the years ahead. Obviously, you know the interest rates are climbing. That does impact our mortgage here very soon in 2026. There'll be some changes to that. That in, change, that in turn changes our, our financial budgeting structure. So there's some long-term impacts that we want to make sure that we're being wise in addressing. And this is just part of that. So we want you to understand why, uh, but also have the opportunity to ask us questions. So we invite you to be thinking and praying about that and join us next Sunday evening at 5 p.m. if you'd like more information. This is a stewardship, ultimately a stewardship conversation. And it's one that we believe that God has initiated. And I have, over the past, oh, now nine years, used this season of Thanksgiving uh, to teach and to speak about biblical stewardship. And I didn't sit at home and plan this. I just think God, in his goodness and his wisdom, kind of intersects these ideas at just the right time for his glory. And what I have discovered and experienced, and what I know to be true in my own life, is that the true measure of gratitude and thankfulness is best measured, ultimately, through our stewardship. Because to be a good steward, it's difficult to be in this world today, what it means according to Scripture, without having a consistent and strong walk with Jesus. Now, stewardship, by definition, if you're wondering what does it mean, well, good stewardship is to hold the office or function of a steward. Aren't you glad I cleared that up for you this morning? <laughs> so let's, what does it mean to be a steward? What does it mean to steward? Steward is a noun, and it's one who manages another's property finances, or other affairs. Someone who takes care of someone else's stuff, whether it be their time, their, their resources, their property, their money, someone who manages another's property, finances, or affairs. So our conversation this month will focus on our stewardship, our management of God's property, of God's finances, of God's affairs. And while money can be the easy focus when we discuss stewardship, and we'll talk about money, money is not the only gift God gives that we need to steward. There's abilities, there's talents, there's gifts and blessings, there's family, there's our time, and ultimately, our lives. What are we giving back to God that's already His to be used for His glory? As you've come to know, hopefully, uh, I enjoy hearing stories of seeing God in our stories. And I equally enjoy hearing uh, of your stewardship or your giving and your tithing stories. Those never cease to amaze me. We have to see God practically show and to bless us in ways that we could never have thought of or imagined in response to our faithfulness to him. Amy and I, we, we have our own stories. I've shared a few of those with you in our time together these last 16 months. Our tithing backgrounds were different. Uh, hers, obviously, growing up in a pastoral home, uh, that was something that they did without question. Uh, I was not modeled that in, in my life. Uh, I was modeled servanthood and some different other things. But when God brought us together, we, we, we had some arguments about tithing. Mathematically, in my mind, it didn't make sense. It didn't work out. The numbers didn't add up. But she was insistent. We were tithing. And I still remember the argument, and she was just adamant that we were going to do it. And I, in my mind, said, like, okay, we'll do it. And in the back of my mind, I could not wait to say, prove her wrong. Eh, told you so. I couldn't wait. I was going to show her that I was wise, and I knew what, what I was doing, and that God would understand. And we were, we were going to take care of things in, a, in an honest way in my mind. And 
God, there was a moment in my life where God looked at me and says, eh, told you so. <laughs> he didn't stick his tongue out at me, but I'm sure he kind of maybe thought about it. We, we have our stories, and, and, and I know you have many. I've heard many of your stories as well. God is faithful. And I've yet to hear a tale where God has failed those who have been faithful to him. I've not heard one. If you have one, I'd be interested in, in hearing about it. But I've yet to hear a tale when we have been faithful and we have done what God has wanted us to do and given what God has asked us to give where he, in turn, has failed us. Because I don't think he ever has. We tithe and we give regularly. At times, often, without even thinking about it. As I was even preparing this message, I got to think about my tithe. And anymore, it's kind of electronic. I just do it each month, and it's kind of done, and it's there. It's kind of like my faithful act. It's just something that I'm going to do. But even in that, it can become kind of routine. And that's not what God desires. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, because my giving is an act of worship. And if I approach God kind of nonchalantly, just kind of out of routine, what does that say about my worship of him? We'll talk about that in a few weeks. I just want to set the table of, of how broad the, of this conversation is. If I just serve God out of habit, and I don't recognize the lives that he's having me touch through the good news, am I missing something in that? There's something to be said for being good stewards, with the right heart, having the right attitude. There's multiple layers to our conversation, and our attitude towards giving is just as important at times as the gift itself. Each layer that we peel back over these next few weeks together will help us ultimately, I pray, to become thankful, F-U-L-L, full of God's thanks, being willing to be always giving thanks to him, to have a heart of spirit that is truly one birthed in gratitude. During our conversation, we're going to learn that there's perhaps some more of some things that we need, but maybe some less of others. And in this process, trusting the Holy Spirit to show us, to teach us, to guide and direct us to who God would call us to be and what God would call us to do. I'm beginning this morning out of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Paul's writing the church in Ephesus. And I love as he's beginning to kind of wrap up his book, he says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's, with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Is that your desire today? Is it? I hope that you've come today to be filled to the full measure as God determines to be in your life. If we've come seeking anything else, then we're missing it. Paul defines it pretty clearly of what it is that we're to pursue. That through the love of Christ, we're to find this fullness that surpasses knowledge. That only comes from God. I think for many, without even thinking about it, we've ended up here today. We haven't even given a second thought as to what it is we might need or what it is in our lives that might be lacking. 
And I wonder if there might be room for God to challenge us a little bit, to redirect if needed, to help us give an honest response to what it is we're pursuing. The fullness of God. Oh, to be filled to this measure. But to, to be filled to this measure, let, let's work backwards in, in, in Paul's proclamation to the church at Ephesus. How can we be filled to this fullness? Well, it begins with understanding that there's a love that God offers to us that surpasses all knowledge. So we're going to go now go backwards to the same passage that I read. We want to end up in a place where we've been filled to the fullness of God. We first, we get there knowing that there's a love that he gives to us that surpasses all knowledge. He then go, goes backwards a step further and describes what this love looks like. He says, how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. It is all-encompassing. What Paul just did is he described every dimension that we could be thinking of. That's the love that surrounds us. That's the love that God has for us. It's not one-directional. It's not just works over here if we do certain things right. It encompasses all aspects of our lives. So how do I experience this love? This love is just a natural expression, natural part of those who dwell in Christ. In Paul's words, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So through our faith in Jesus Christ, he dwells inside of us. When Christ dwells inside of us, we experience this, this wide, long, high, and deep love of Christ. We, we find ourselves immersed in this love that surpasses all knowledge, and we then begin to be filled to the fullness of God. What does this dwelling look like? Well, out of his glorious riches, take another step backwards. What do his glorious riches look like? We tend to think, well, that must be money and gold and, and, and provision, him taking care of us. But what if it's not measured in those ways? What if it's measured in grace? What if it's measured in blessing? What if it's measured in gifts and talents and abilities that he gives to us? Does that change our perspective if we look at God's riches in a different way? And how do I receive his glorious riches? Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. It begins with submission. It begins with surrender. And stewardship, gratitude, thanksgiving, thankfulness, begins in the same place, place of surrender. If I'm not fully surrendered to God, there's going to be something missing in the way that I express my gratitude. There'll be a limit to it. There'll be something that I hold back. There's always going to be something. If I'm not surrendered to him fully, then I'm surrendered to myself. And, and I know myself. And you know yourself. If we're not fully surrendered to God, that, that part that we hold back becomes the gap. And instead of being more thankful, we become less thankful. What is it that perhaps we're holding back that God wants us to let go of this morning? It's this first layer or, or stewardship principle that we need to acknowledge and respond to is this idea of ownership. Even our own lives, we, we tend to think that we're in control and we get to make our own decisions and we own it. The truth is we were created by a creator, our heavenly father. He's the one who has all ownership. We tend to measure ownership in, in our perspective horizontally, um, north, east, south, west. You can step outside of your house or where you live and you, you can identify the boundaries of the property lines of the land that you may own or the house that you may live in. There may be deeds that they kind of exclaim or, or, or list out a latitude and longitude of the property that you have. You may have a title to a car that says it's yours. 
we might have a bank account that tells we have so much money, or an IRA that says our investments give us this much. We measure it horizontally. But when it comes to gratitude, to thanksgiving, to being thankful, our view of ownership, if it's horizontal, it's always going to leave us reaching for more, but ultimately grasping less. Ownership is first and best understood biblically when we consider ownership vertically. Up and down. Vertically. See, when we add the vertical component, then the conversation changes. The vertical component Paul captures in his, his writings to the book of Ephesus when he talks about how the love of Christ is wide and long, but it's also high and deep. He talks about length and width, but also depth and height. If our love is just measured horizontally, we're missing something so very important. If our thankfulness is, is, is a result of our horizontal understanding, there's always going to be something missing. Vertical peace has to be part of our thinking. That's when ownership becomes more clear. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David writes, Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. We have given you only what comes from your hand. See, we struggle with this idea of ownership from the time we're born. Infants and toddlers very quickly learn what it is they want, and if they don't have it, they cry to get it. And the idea of learning to share when we're really young, and sometimes maybe some of you are still learning to share. Husbands, don't, don't, don't be nudging your wives, and wives, don't be nudging your husbands. This idea of sharing is not natural to us. It's counterintuitive. It's the opposite of this idea that, that we should meet our own needs. And the only thing sharing becomes real is when we begin, as Paul began, when he kneels and surrenders. Then sharing becomes more reasonable, part of our lives. I've had friends over the years that it would teach their children sign language from a young age. I think it's a, that's a really neat thing to do. And one of the first words that children learn, anybody want to guess? More. 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 Why do we teach them more? Because <laughs> they don't know how to ask for what they want, so give me more. Right? Not thank you, not also appreciate this. We, we teach them to ask for more. And we hope that they're thankful. We hope that there's an expression of gratitude in what they're experiencing, but in that moment, in that place in life, that there's probably not. One of their favorite words as they start to become and grow out of tolerance is the word mine. Mine. I love the scene in Finding Nemo where you see all of the seagulls and they see something pop out as if it's food and they all were going, mine, 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 mine. Everybody racing for what's mine. Mine and more are a natural part of our lives, and they're counterintuitive also in opposition to being thankful. But yet you think as we get older, we would learn. But as we go from children to teens, even to adults, what we become really good at is accumulating stuff. We won't get into that conversation. We've had that one before. Stuff that we own, stuff that's ours. Ownership, the very heart of our understanding of stewardship. If more and mine are the words that we lead with, then we're going to miss something very important, especially when it comes to tithing. David also writes in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And David is proclaiming that all of creation belongs to God. 
David understands ownership. Now, we might think, well, it's easy for a king who has all the riches of Israel at his disposal to be generous, to have this attitude. He has no needs, right? Everything that he wants is provided for him. That he, ownership is not a problem for David because he's king over everything. But we see him talking about in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 is David essentially is raising funds for the church, the very first physical church, the, the, the temple, if you will. David and the people of Israel give generously, recognizing, though, that all they are giving already belongs to God. In essence, they're just giving it back. And I'm thankful to our church, you are faithful. And, and I, I talk to Harold on a regular basis, and, and, and our giving continues to increase, and we're thankful for that. I don't have to come and ask because we're, we're having trouble paying the electric bill or an air conditioner broke. You've been good. You responded to God's faithfulness, and for that, I, I'm so thankful as your pastor. That's not a burden or something that, that, that hangs over us. But what I want to continue to talk about and why we talk about this, and, and I'm not ashamed at all or embarrassed I'll talk about giving, is because it's an expression of our walk with him. If it's a new concept for you, 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 you can't figure out how to do it, you think the numbers won't match up, I've been where you're at. And I thank God for a wife that wouldn't let me stay there. I I do. We need to challenge one another, and the sharing of our stories helps us see that God is going to show up. See, as stewards managing God's resources, we, we give to build not our own kingdoms, but the kingdom of God. David, as king, gave more. And our generosity is not measured in what others give, but rather, as, as Tom Felder writes, is rooted in our understanding of God's ownership of all that we have and our willingness to let go and let God use our resources as he sees fit. Is God better with money than I am? Oh, absolutely. Can he do more with it than I can? Yes, he can. Does some of this not make sense to some of you where this idea of giving back to the church is a new concept? I'm sure it's confusing. But realizing God's ownership removes the obstacles in the way of our generosity and in turn impacts our understanding and our practice of thanksgiving. See, once we surrender to the idea that God owns it already, Giving back a percentage becomes so much easier. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about tithing. This might, this might surprise some of you. The biblical understanding of tithing. And we, we see an Old Testament example, and then we see a, a New Testament idea. And if you go read out of Hebrews chapter 7, uh, the writer of Hebrews shares this story of Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who was priest of God most high. And he meets Abraham. And Abraham's returning from a, a battle, a conflict, if you will, where he's defeated the kings that have kidnapped his nephew Lot. And with the spoils of that campaign, Abraham gives a tenth back to Melchizedek, the priest of the God Most High. Melchizedek says, I, I can't take that. And Abraham says, oh, yes, you can. Uh, I am not going to hold on to me what belongs to the Lord. So what we see in here is Abraham giving back to the priest of the God Most High, one-tenth. Now, where did this idea come from? Where did this concept that Abraham's practicing come from? Believe it or not, the concept of tithing began as a pagan practice. A conqueror would give 10% to the God of their choice as a tribute with the expectation of blessing. It's almost this, okay, God, thank you for that victory. I'm going to give this back to you because I want more. I give back to you because I expect something in return. So this, this pagan practice was, was, was common. So here's Abram, Abram at the time, we become Abraham, 
He goes and has, he conquers, he brings back the spoils, he does what he's always known to do, give 10% back to the God of his choice. But this time he does something a little different with no expectation of anything in return. This is the only time in scripture we see Abraham give a tithe. The law of Moses, in the book of Leviticus, we see the people are commanded to, to give a tithe to the Levitical priests. Melchizedek was not of the line of, of the Levitical priests. Interesting, we'll talk about this in just a moment. Jesus, who would be, who become our high priest in the New Testament, was not of uh, the line of the Levites. He was of the line of Melchizedek. Interesting how God connects these dots. And here we begin to understand that what God wants is for us to give without the expectation of anything in return. But we know, though, that as we give, God's going to be faithful and take care of his people. So the law of Moses gives that they were supposed to pay a tithe. However, this is not the only tithe that people were required to give. This was the only tithe given to the priests. In, in, in total, the law of Moses actually ends up requiring the people to pay about 25% in total tithes. Aren't you glad that that's really not well? Maybe you do. I don't know what God has you do here in church. But Israel was a theocracy at the time, a God-governed nation. So in essence, the tithes were in fact actually taxes. In our culture today, we kind of shy away from putting it quite like that. You know, taxes kind of make us shudder, especially increased taxes. And this is the conclusion we get when we fail to look at God's word in its entirety. See, context is critical in our proper understanding of what it means to give, what it means to be thankful, what it means to be good stewards. Jesus taught in Matthew 17 that we should pay our taxes. and instructs his disciples to do likewise. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God, what is God's? Nowhere in the New Testament were believers commanded to tithe. God's pattern for giving the New Testament is not the tithe. However, God's pattern for giving the Old Testament is not the tithe either. It's, it's a kind of an example. It, it, it's, it's something that he wants us to do. But God's pattern has always been free will giving. Give because I give to you. Give back to me what of mine I've passed on to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, Paul writes, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this is not a, 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 a sermon on if you give more, God will give you more in return. It's not a prosperity message. But the Bible is very clear. It already belongs to him. And he invites us to participate in his work and giving it back. And when you give to the church, you're giving back to, to this idea that we're not building our own kingdom, but rather we're about building God's kingdom. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not asking you for more money today. We're, we're doing okay. We're, we're doing well. But what I want is that, that we hold nothing back from him. When we go back to the Ephesians, when we kneel before God, we're not holding anything in our back pocket. We're surrendering everything to him. We're trusting him fully because he can do so much more with it than we can do on our own. And it's important to give to the church. Don't get me wrong. I, you help. I take care of my family and the families of our staff, and you help us I do ministry in our community in so many beautiful and powerful ways. We give not because we ought to. We give because we get to. We were to give God everything, our time, talent, and treasure. Why? Because God gave us everything. And when I, when I came up across this idea that I don't give because I have to, I give because I get to give, it changed everything for me. Wow. 
I get to participate in what it is that God is doing. Waldo Weenings, he describes the three levels of giving as this way. The first one is you have to. It's the law. Law dictates that you have to give a certain amount. Uh, he gives in the second uh, reason that we level of giving as you ought to. We grow, grow from having to to recognize, oh, I ought to give something. You know, a kid knocks on your door trying to sell you a candle that really doesn't smell very good. And you really don't want to buy the candle, but it supports their school. It's like, oh, I don't really want to. But I feel like at times I do anyway. Kind of an obligation, but not really. So I, I give in that way. I don't really want to do it, but I do it anyhow. And, and then there's this third level of giving. I go from having to to ought to to want to. That want to giving is best defined by response to grace. How do I respond to God's grace in my life? Do I throw him a five or a 20 here and there? Or do I just let go of everything? Do I trust him to the point where I just say, Lord, what is it you want me to give? It's yours anyway. What do you want me to give back to you? I've had a, growing up with my kids, uh, teaching them about money, and it's funny when they're younger, you can give them a handful of coins, and these coins are like, oh, boy, I got a lot of money here. And you offer them a dollar. It's worth more than the coins in their hand. But they just struggle to let go of it, not realizing the value of what it is you're wanting to trade with them. We're the same way. We've got this handful of coins, and God just asks us, did you give that back to me and watch what I do with it? And then we're reluctant until we learn the value of what it is that he's offering to us. Those same coins in my kids' hands that they want to, don't want to give back to me in exchange for a dollar or two dollars or five dollars, no matter what it is they're holding on to. I mean, if they see a gumball machine or in my office an M&M machine, then they can stick a quarter in there and get seven or eight M&Ms where they're all about that. They'll do that in a hurry. And I laugh at them for that, but then I get to thinking, we're not so different, are we? <laughs> we'll hold on to our coins. Oh, Lord, I got to keep these because, you know, I'm really learning to trust in these coins and I know you I know but I just not sure what you'll give me back if it's worth what I have in my hand and then the minute I find something that's trivial that I think that the world tells me I need I'll go and spend my quarters I'm not so different just the M&Ms are bigger in my life than they are in theirs God wants me to trust him to go from having to to ought to to wanting to now I want to understand I want to speak to it's not human nature to be generous and even the pagans who gave, they did with the expectation of retribution. Let me just spend just, just a few minutes on this idea. Uh, we see this in the Greek and Roman culture with Jesus is living in the first century. When he's inviting us to participate in, in this idea of giving in a new way. And, and the Roman culture especially, it was, it, was a, it, it was this word liberalitas. And liberalitas means to give to please the recipient with the hope that the recipient will return the favor. I want to give to you to make you happy with the hope of someday you'll return the favor back to me. So they gave to gods with the hope of blessing. You give to others who can repay you. You give to those who can give something to you. In fact, even on their currency, even on their coins, this, perhaps the same coin that Jesus asked and showed them the picture of Caesar when he was questioned about it, there would have been a word, liberalitas. I'll give to you, but I may need you to give something back to me. Those who had more money naturally got more favors and would receive more from others. Jesus steps into culture and says, that's not my father's kingdom. He introduces a new way of giving, giving knowing that you may never be paid back, at least in an earthly form. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 35, he confronts this idea. 
and, and teaches us a new way. And he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Verse 35, but love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Wait a minute, what? Jesus, this is not normal. And of course, he would smile at that. It says, exactly. Then he says, your reward will be great. You'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, of which we are until we learn to give in a different way that the world gives. This idea of giving that Jesus is defining, I, I love how he says it is, your reward will be great and you'll be children of the most high. Christ will dwell within you. You'll understand how long and how high and how deep and how wide is the love of Christ. And it's in that place that we experience the full measure of God when we experience his fullness. Then we're able to be thankful, to become people of gratitude. See, Jesus is changing the giving paradigm changing the way of thinking, and he's changing our way of thinking even today. It does not belong to you, he says. This understanding frees us to be generous, to be thankful people. Curiously, the first century church become known for their generosity. See, while at the time the culture practiced liberalitas, Jesus taught caritas. That's not the same as carnitas. That's what you have for lunch. Caritas means giving without expectation. From the word carnitas, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> I am hungry. From caritas, we get the word charity. Charity. And charity is what the church became known for. Caritas is a Latin word that literally means love. We see it in 1 John verse 4, 8, God is love, we read, but in the Latin, it reads, duas caritas est. In the middle of this idea of who God is, we see this word charity. Complete opposition to that of the culture. Giving without expectation, receiving anything in return. Fully trusting in him. Why do we give without expecting any return? It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. But yet he continues to be faithful and to give back to us. To give without expecting. It's not just charity. It's love. We are called to love as God first loved us. This is from where thanksgiving is birthed. This is where this idea of being a person who uh, is, is, uh, expresses gratitude comes from. Generosity comes from this concept. It begins with surrender. It begins with kneeling. This idea of being and living in the fullness of God can only be found when we let go of everything. It's just the first layer of our understanding gratitude, becoming people who are thankful. This month as you shop and get, buy your turkey and your stuffing and you make plans with family and you begin to think about what it means to be thankful, may we understand that it begins with recognizing that it all belongs to him. And when we let it go, and we free ourselves up to be people who are truly thankful. I'll close with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Paul writes, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, 
and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul has to bring this back out to the church in Corinth. You're really good at the faith part. You're good at the speech part. You're good at the knowledge part. Uh, you, you, you've been earnest and, you, and, and you, you, you love people. We've kindled in you all of these things. But then he summarizes it with, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Why would he have to remind him of that? Because church, let's be honest, that's often the last thing we surrender and let go of. Just being honest. I'm not asking you to give 10% or 11% or 5.5%. I don't care about that. But what I care about is that we excel in the things that God calls us to excel at. We let go of the things that are getting in the way of us experiencing the fullness of God. He'll take care of the other things. We'll be good stewards. We're going to continue to make wise decisions. We've got a great team finance team and a board that makes sure that, that we are taking care of the gifts that you give and helping grow the kingdom of God in a, in a way that he is pleased with. We give because God gave. We give the way God gave. Without expectation because we loved him as he loves us. I invite you to stand with me. And as, as we pray today, I, we're going to pray this prayer of thanks I want you to give him thanks this morning. If there's something in the way, would we be willing to at least acknowledge that and to give him space to talk to us about it? And as you go about your lives this month, let us truly grow and become people who can give him thanks without hesitation, with nothing held back, nothing in the way. Father, we thank you. We say thank you. It's an appropriate response to the word we've heard today. We thank you, Lord, for your provision. We thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. For the homes that we have, the jobs, Lord, that we have, the, the resources you give to us, the gifts that you provided. We thank you for the physical things as we can see them, we can measure them horizontally. But Lord, I also want us to pause for a moment and to thank you for the vertical, the most important part, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for loving us, how long and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ. So as we kneel before you, Father, would you dwell in us? Lord, would you fill us to the full measure, to the fullness of God? Too many of us, Lord, have filled up on the things of this world. Yet we still find ourselves hungry, empty, lacking. But today, Lord, we can choose something different. Help us to let go. To become people that truly are thankful, that understand this virtue of gratitude, to recognize our role and responsibility of being a steward of the things that you already own. Lord, may this Thanksgiving be different. Take us deeper. Continue to show up. Keep adding to our story. Lord, we'll keep telling people it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And God bless you. Go. Be thankful.